Hello everyone. So today is the first of January 2023. Oh my god, it's a new year. I mean, it feels like yesterday that 2022 just began, but here we are. Welcoming another year. I mean, it's freaking awesome. And well, our story will continue this entire year also because I really hope I get to complete my school year and the podcast together. Uh, so, and, um, well, and, well, that's the reason why I'm prolonging each episode, like breaking them into two parts and then re-recording it. Part one, part two of every episode because, I mean, I don't want it to end so fast and, I mean, I'll be really, uh, you can say lonely without my podcast too and because well I have start I had started it since, uh, ever since lockdown started in India and, right now, I mean. I just can't believe that we've completed like four books over the years and well and this is my last this is about to be my last school year <laughs> and I mean this year is gonna be it has to be memorable I mean it has to be so without further ado I love New York. You could pop out of the outer world in Central Park, hail a taxi, head down Fifth Avenue with a giant hellhound lopping along behind you, and nobody even looks at you funny. Of course, the missed help. People probably couldn't see Mrs. Leary, or maybe they thought she was a large, loud, very friendly truck. I took the risk of using my mom's cell phone to call Annabeth for the second time. I'd got her once from the tunnel, but only reached her voicemail. I'd got a surprisingly good reception, seeing as I was at the mythological center of the world and all. But I didn't want to see what my mom's roaming charges were going to be. This time, Annabeth picked up. Hey, you got my message? I said, where have you been? Your message almost said nothing. We've been worried sick. I'll fill you in later. I said, somehow... Uh, those, I, though how I was going to do that, I had no idea. Where are you right now? You're on a way like you oxed almost to the Queen's Midtown Tunnel. But Prissy, what are you planning? We've left camp virtually undefended, and there's no way the gods... Trust me. I'll see you there. I hung up. My hands were trembling. I wasn't sure if it was a leftover reaction from a dip in the sticks or anticipation of what I was about to do. If this didn't work, being invulnerable wasn't going to save me from getting blasted to bits. It was late afternoon when the taxi dropped me at an Empire State building. Mrs. O'Leary bounded up and down the 5th Avenue, licking tabs and sniffing hot dog carts. Nobody seemed to notice her, although people did swerve away and look confused when she came close. I whistled for her to heal as three white vans pulled up to the curb. They said Delphi Strawberry Service, which was the cover name for Camp Half-Blood. I had never seen all three vans in the same place at once, though I knew they shuttled our fresh produce into the city. 
The first van was driven by Argus, our many-eyed security chief. The other two were driven by harpies, who were basically demonic human-slash-chicken hybrids with uh, bad attitudes. We used the harpies mostly for cleaning the camp, but they did pretty well in midtown traffic, too. The doors slid open. A bunch of campers climbed out, some of them looking a little green from the long drive. I was glad so many had come. Pollock, Selena, Beauregard, Star Brothers, Michael Yu, Jake Mason, Katie Gardner, and Annabeth, along with most of her siblings. Chiron came out of the van last. His horse half was compacted into his magic wheelchair, so he used the handicap lift. Aries came in. Wasn't there, but I tried not to get too angry about that. Clarice was a stubborn idiot. End of the story. I did a head count. Body campers and all. Not many to fight a war, but it was still the largest group of half-bloods I'd ever seen gathered in one place outside the camp. Everyone looked nervous and I understood why. We were probably sending out so much demigod aura that every monster in the northeastern United States knew we were here. As I looked at their faces, all these campers I'd known for so many summers, a nagging voice whispered in my mind. One of them is a spy. But I couldn't dwell on that. They were my friends. I needed them. Then I remembered Kronos's evil smile. You can't count on friends, they will always let you down. Annabeth came up to me. She was dressed in black camouflage with a celestial bronze knife strapped to her arm and a laptop bag slung over her shoulder ready for stabbing or surfing the internet, whichever came first. She frowned. What is it? What's what? I asked. You're looking at me funny. I realized I was thinking about my strange vision of Annabeth pulling me out of the room out of the river sticks. It's nothing. I turned to the rest of the group. Thanks for coming, everybody. Hiram, after you. My old mentor shook his head. I came to wish you luck, my boy, but I never make it a point to visit Olympus unless I am summoned. But you are a leader. He smiled. I am your trainer, your teacher. That is not the same as being your leader. I will go, gather what allies I can. It may not be too late to convince my brother centaurs to help. Meanwhile, you call the campers here, Percy. You are the leader. I wanted to protest, but everybody was looking at me expectantly, even Annabeth. I took a deep breath. Okay. Like I told Annabeth on the phone, something bad is going to happen by tonight. Some kind of trap. We've... Got to get an audience with Zeus and convince him to defend the city. Remember, we can't take no for an answer. I asked August to watch Mrs. Leary, which neither of them looked happy about. Carb shook my hand. You'll do well, Percy. Just remember your strengths and be wary of your weaknesses. It sounded eerily close to what Achilles had told me. Then I remembered Chiron had taught Achilles. That didn't exactly reassure me, but I nodded and tried to give him a confident smile. Let's go, I told the campers. A security guard was sitting behind the desk in the lobby, reading a big black book with a flower on the cover. He glanced up and we all felt in the weapons normal clanking. School group? We're about to close up. No, 600th floor. He checked us out. His eyes were pale blue and his head was completely bald. I couldn't tell if he was human or not, but he seemed to know their weapons. So I guess he wasn't fooled by the mist. There is no 600th floor, kid. He said it like it was a required line. He didn't believe. Move along. I leaned across the desk. Forty demigods attract an awful lot of monsters. You really want to send me out in the lobby? 
He thought about that. Then he heard a buzzer and security gate swung open. Make it quick. You don't want us going through the metal detectors, I added. Um, no, he agreed. Elevators on the right, I guess you know the way. I tossed him a golden drachma and we marched through. We decided it would take two trips to get everybody up the elevator. I went with the first group, different elevator music, was playing since my last visit. That old disco song, Staying Alive, a uh, terrifying image flashed through my mind of polo and bell-bottom pants and a slinky silk shirt. I was glad when the elevator doors finally dinged open. In front of us, a path floating stones led through the clouds up to Mount Olympus, Oho, hovering 6,000 feet over Manhattan. I've seen Olympus several times, but it still took my breath away. The mansions glittered gold and white against the sides of the mountain. Gardens bloomed in a hundred on a hundred terraces. Scented smoke rose from the braziers that lined the winding streets. And right at the top of the snow-capped crest rose the main palace of the gods. It looked as majestic as ever, but something seemed wrong. Then I realized the mountain was silent. No music, no voices, no laughter. Ahmed studied me. You look different. Where exactly did you go? The elevator doors opened again and the second group of hobbles joined us. I'll tell you later. Come on. We made our way across the sky bridge and streets of Olympus. The shops were closed, the parks were empty. A couple of muses sat on a bench, strumming flaming lyres, but their hearts didn't seem to be in it. A lone cyclops swept the street with an uprooted oak tree. A minor godling spotted us from a balcony and ducked inside, closing his shutters. We passed under a big marble archway with statues of Zeus and Hera on either side. Anna in the face of the queen of the gods. Hate her, she muttered. Has she been cursing you or something? I asked. Last year, Annabelle had gotten here as bad side, but Annabelle hadn't really talked about it since. Just little stuff so far, she said. Her sacred animal is the cow, right? Right. So she sends cows after me. I tried not to smile. Cows in San Francisco? Oh, yeah. Usually I don't see them, but the cows leave little presents all over the place. In our backyard, on the sidewalk, in the school hallways. I have to be careful where I step. Look! Pollux cried, pointing towards the horizon. What is that? We all froze. Blue lights were streaking across the evening sky towards Olympus like tiny comets. They seemed to be coming from all over the city, heading straight towards the mountain. As they got close, they fizzled out. We watched them for several minutes, but they didn't seem to do any damage, but still looked strange. Like infrared scopes, Michael, you muttered, we're being targeted. Let's get to the palace. No one was guarding the Hall of the Gods. The gold and silver doors stood wide open. Our footsteps echoed as we walked into the throne room. Of course, room doesn't really cover it. The place was the size of the Madison Square Garden, high above the blue ceiling glittered with constellations. Twelve giant empty thrones stood in a U around a hearth. In one corner, a house-sized glow of water hovered in the air, and inside swam my old friend, the Ophiotaurus, half cow, half serpent. Moo, he said happily, turning in a circle. Despite all the serious stuff going on, I had to smile. 
Two years ago, we'd spent a lot of time trying to save the Ophiotaurus from the Titans, and I'd gotten kind of fond of him. He seemed to like me too, even though I'd originally thought he was a girl and named him Bessie. Hey, man, they're treating you okay? Moo, Bessie agreed. He walked towards the thrones and a woman's voice said, Hello again, Percy Jackson. You and your friends are welcome. Hestia stood by the hearth, poking the flames with a stick. She wore the same kind of simple brown dress as she had done before, but she was a grown woman now. I bowed. Lady Hestia? My friends followed my example. Hestia regarded me with her glowing red eyes. I see you went through with your plan. You bear the curse of Achilles. The other campers started muttering among themselves. What did she say? What about Achilles? You must be careful. You gained much on your journey, but you are still blind to the most important truth. Perhaps a glimpse is in order. Anwar nudged me. Oh, what is she talking about? I stared into Hestia's eyes and an image rushed into my mind. I saw a dark alley between red brick warehouses, a sign above one of the doors read Richmond Ironworks. Two harbors crouched in the shadows, a boy about 14 and a girl about 12. I realized with a start that the boy was Luke. The girl was Thalia, daughter of Zeus. I was seeing a scene from back in the days when they were on the run before Grover found them. Luke carried a bronze knife. Thalia had a spear and a shield of terror, Aegis. Luke and Thalia both looked hungry and lean with wild animal eyes like they were used to being attacked. Are you sure? Thalia asked. Luke nodded. Something down here, I sense it. A rumble echoed from the alley like someone had banged on a sheet of metal. The half-bloods crept forward. Old crates stacked on loading dock, Thalia and Luke approached with their weapons ready. A cordon of corrugated tin quivered as if something were behind it. Thalia glanced at Luke, he counted silently. One, two, three. He ripped away the tin and the little girl flew at him with a hammer. Whoa, Luke said. The girl had tangled blonde hair and was wearing flannel pajamas. She couldn't have been more than seven, but she would have brained Luke if he hadn't been so fast. He grabbed her wrist and the hammer skittered across the cement. The little girl fought and kicked. No more monsters! Go away! It's okay. Luke struggled to hold her. Thalia, put your shield up, you scary girl. Thalia tapped Aegis and it shrank into a silver bracelet. Hey, it's alright, she said. We're not going to hurt you. I'm Thalia. This is Luke. Monsters! No, Luke promised. But we all know about monsters. We fight them too. Slowly, the girl stopped kicking. She studied Luke and Thalia with large, intelligent gray eyes. You are like me? She said suspiciously. Yeah. We, we, we are, well, it's hard to explain, but we are monster fighters. Where's your family? My family hates me, the girl said. They don't want me. I ran away. Thalia and Luke locked eyes. I knew they both related to what she was saying. What's your name, kiddo? Thalia asked. Annabeth. Luke smiled. Nice name. I tell you what, Annabeth. You're pretty fierce. We could use a fighter like you. Annabeth's eyes widened. You could? Oh, yeah. Luke turned his knife and offered her the handle. 
How do you like a real monster slaying weapon? This is celestial bronze. Works a lot better than a hammer. Maybe under most circumstances, offering a seven-year-old kid a knife would be not such a good idea. But when you are a half-blood regular, rules kind of go out of the window. Albert gripped the hilt. Knives are only for the bravest and the quickest fighters, Luke explained. They don't have the reach or power of a sword, but they are easy to conceal and they can find weak spots in your enemy's armor. It takes a clever warrior to use a knife. I have a feeling you're pretty clever. Albert stared at him with adoration. I am. Sylvia grinned. We'd better get going, Albert. We have a safe house in the James River. We'll get you some clothes and food. You're, you're not going to take me back to my family, promise? She said. Luke put his hands on his shoulder. You're part of our family now, and I promise I won't let anything hurt you. I'm not going to fail you like our families did. Deal? Deal? Annabeth said happily. Now come on, Thalia said. We can't stay put for long. The scene shifted. Three demigods were running through the woods. It must have been several days later. Maybe seven, maybe even weeks. All of them looked beat up like they'd seen some battles. Annabeth was wearing new clothes, jeans, and an oversized army jacket. Just a little further, Luke promised. Albert stumbled and he took her hand. Thalia brought up the rear, brandishing her shield like she was driving back wherever pursued them. She was limping on her left leg. They scrambled up a ridge and looked down the other side at a white colonial house, May Castellan's place. All right, I'll just sneak in and grab some food and medicine. Wait here. Luke, are you sure you swore you'd never come back here if she catches you, Thalia said. We, had, we don't have a choice, he growled. They burned her near a safe house, and we've got to treat that leg wound. This is your house? Annabeth said with amazement. It was my house. Believe me, if it wasn't an emergency. Is your mom really horrible? Can we see her? No! Luke snapped. Annabeth shrunk away from him, and I like his anger surprised her. I'm sorry. Just wait here. Promise everything will be okay. Nothing's gonna hurt you. I'll be back. A brilliant golden flash illuminated the woods. The demigods whizzed and a man's voice boomed. You should not have come home. The vision shut off. My knees buckled, but Annabeth grabbed me. Percy, what happened? Did, did you see that? I asked. See what? I glanced at Hestia, but the goddess' face was expressionless. I remember something she told me in the words, If you are to understand your enemy, you must understand his family. But why had she so shown me the scenes? How long was I out? I muttered. Annabeth knit her eyebrows. Suppose you weren't out at all. You just looked at Hestia for like one second and collapsed. I could feel everyone's eyes on me, but I couldn't afford to look weak. Whatever those visions meant, I had to focus on our mission. Um, I guess we'll do it next episode. Yeah. This is going to be an amazing book. I mean, it's going to be the amazing ending to this amazing story. <sighs> I can't wait to finish it, but also I don't want to want to finish it, actually. So, well, that's why I'm doing in parts, as I said. So, We'll meet again next episode on the Arthur Percy Jackson podcast.